Let's stand together. Uh, if you're visiting with us today and you're wondering what in the world is an elephant series, well, have you ever been in a conversation where, you know, you're talking about stuff and the issue that nobody wants to talk about is that like 500-pound elephant in the room? Well, this morning's elephant in the room is prejudice, discrimination, and racism. So, we run a weird text from the book of Revelation. Now, this text in the book of Revelation is, um, uh, is uh, uh, only two verses, well, actually, it's two verses, but it's one continuous sentence, so I'm going to actually have you read in the middle of the sentence, so this is what it says. And they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, talking about Jesus. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The kingdom of priests, God, and they shall reign on the earth. Well, that was okay. I'll give it to you. It's the long weekend. Let's pray. Father, we pause today again. First of all, to express our deep, deep, deep gratitude and thanks for your love for us in Jesus Christ and how you demonstrated that so extravagantly and so generously and so graciously. But also for the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit who takes everything that you have done in Jesus Christ and makes it available and possible and applicable in our lives. But we want to pause this morning again just to acknowledge that you are here in our midst. You are here to speak to us through the voice of your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask now that that same Holy Spirit would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to comprehend. And Lord, particularly as we go off this property and out into our lives or the rest of our lives, our relationships, our marriages, our families, our homes, our neighborhoods, our places of work and education and where we buy our services, that the same Holy Spirit would help us to live out what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so we ask this in his name, that he would be praised and glorified. Amen. Why don't you be seated? <clears throat> so we want to talk about prejudice, discrimination, and racism. Now I want to start with where every great sermon starts to really get your attention, and that's with some definitions. Now, what do we mean by the words prejudice, discrimination, and racism? How do we define those? Well, let's start first of all with prejudice. A prejudice involves making a preconceived judgment or opinion before we have all the facts. 
Racial prejudice thrives on stereotypes or on favorable portrayals due to color, race, ethnicity, gender, and religion. But I want to add one more piece, and that is dominant cultural narratives. Now, a dominant cultural narrative is a story that is told by a culture about another, about a, another particular group of people. So, for example, when we were in the Middle East a number of years ago, I was in the Middle East a number of years, one of my, years ago, one of my first trips to Israel and to Palestine, and uh, <clears throat> we were down in the Palestinian area of Jerusalem going to a shop. And uh, as we're walking down this alleyway, these kids around 7, 8, 9, 10, couldn't be more than 10 or 11 years old, and they start pitching rocks at us and yelling at us. And we're trying to evade these rocks, and, and do you know what they're yelling at us? Do you know what they're saying to us? Do you know what they're calling us? Americans. And we said, no, 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 no. We're Canadians. They put down the rocks and said, sorry. Now, how is it that a 7, 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old boy or girl, mostly boys, who have never met a person from the United States of America, how could they have that much hatred in their hearts? Because they are taught to eight people from the West. They are taught to hate Americans. And they are taught by their parents and by other authorities in their lives. But we too have our dominant cultural narratives. So for example, when I use the term homeless person, we all conjure up the ideas of a person who smells bad, unkept hair, is lazy, made poor choices, or is living with the consequences of such and such. And these are part, and we have other dominant cultural narratives that are a part of us as Canadians, as people from the West. And then we come to d discrimination. Now, discrimination is not necessarily a negative thing. Matter of fact, we actually discriminate and make distinctions daily, and some of those are, it's a good thing. We discern uh, a difference, or we distinguish between two or um, more things. But discrimination, as we're talking about it today, in the context of this sermon, is not a positive thing. Discrimination is an unfavorable attitude or action toward people because they are of a particular color, ethnicity, gender, or religion. And this is highly problematic. That brings us then to the big one, which is racism. And I went to dictionary.com to give us some idea of what we mean by racism. See if any of these things um, sort of identify with you or you identify with them. Racism, a belief or doctrine that inherent differences among various human races determine cultural or individual achievement, usually involving the idea that one's own race is superior and has the right to rule others. Two, 
a policy or a system of government, etc., based upon or fostering such a doctrine. Discrimination. And then finally, hatred or intolerance toward another race or other races. But the truth is that we don't need definitions to help us understand what we mean by prejudice or discrimination or racism. And the other thing that is true is that racism is easier to define than it is to identify. Racism is not always as obvious as the white hoods and the white robes of the Ku Klux Klan. Racism can be much more subtle than that. Racism is an acquired, it is a learned, acquired thinking, it is a learned behavior. No one is ever born a racist. It is something that is developed in our lives. But there's also this, that prejudice and discrimination and racism is based on fear, on fear. For example, we have these questions, what if they change our government and our laws like Sharia law? of the Muslims. The nature, of course, of Western jurisprudence in Canada and the United States and in Europe is based upon the Judeo-Christian principle, the Ten Commandments. That should not change, and the truth is that it's not going to change. It's just fear-based prejudice. But what if they take our jobs? Now, this is the crazy part of the argument for racism and prejudice and discrimination. This is the crazy part of the argument. First of all is this. Do we not realize as Canadians that we actually need immigration because we are not having enough children. Our birth rate is so low that we cannot provide enough people to fill the job situation in Canada. We need immigrants to come into Canada. We need immigration in order to make our economic reality in Canada sustainable and viable. But I would add this. So put your seatbelt on. You ready? Wendell Berry says this, so you can't throw stones at me. Wendell Berry says this. Wendell Berry is an agrarian writer, and he says... Immigrants often do the jobs that we do not want to do. And he says, and he says, so put your seatbelt, he says the reason why we do not want to do them is because we have a sense of superiority. That those jobs are below us. But here's the second part of the craziness of the argument against immigration. Everyone in Canada is from somewhere else. Everyone in Canada is from somewhere else. Let me ask you this question, okay? How many of you in this room were born in a nation other than Canada? Raise your hand. It's not a, just raise your hand nice and high. Don't, don't be shy. 
Okay, how many of you in this room, okay, keep your hands up, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. How many of you in this room, your parents were born in a nation other than Canada? Raise your hand. How many of you in this room, your grandparents were born in a nation other than Canada? Raise your hands. And how many of you in this room, your great-great-grandparents were born in a nation other than Canada? Raise your hand. We are, you can put them down, we are a nation of nations. We are a nation of immigrants. Wake up and smell the chaos. Matter of fact, historians will tell you that even First Nations people came to Canada from somewhere else. Historians tell us that First Nations people actually came from Eastern Europe to Alaska to Canada across the frozen Bering Straits. Everybody in Canada is from everywhere else. (laughs) Or is this just a white person's problem? Is this just my problem? That brings us to this. What I think helps, what I think will help us as Christians is a biblical and a better understanding of the human person. Now, what we believe about the human race and culture is directly and unbreakably linked to what we believe about God. Let me say it again. This is Pastor Scott's quote, by the way. What we believe about race and culture is directly and unbreakably linked to what we believe about God. Now, one of the things that we're told in the Bible, one of the first things, is that God is the Father of us all. That's the argument that comes out of Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. And that in Genesis, and then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we are told that we are created, that we are made in the image of God. The Bible unequivocally says that Adam and Eve were created, they were made in the image of God, that they bear God's image. And because every one of us have descended from them, you and I too are made in the image of God. We bear God's image. Now what does that mean? That means a number of things. First of all, it means that all human life uniquely belongs to God. That's why the Bible tells us that we have no right to take human life because we cannot, we do not have the right to destroy what we did not create. We talked about this a number of weeks ago when we talked about the Ten Commandments. So first of all, it means that all human life uniquely belongs to God. Because we are made in his likeness, we are made and created in his image. We bear the image of God. But it also means this, that all of us, all of us are of equal value and of equal importance to God. And all human life is sacred. This is where we get our stance on when a child, when a, when a seed becomes a human person. 
and why we believe that it is wrong to take the life of another because we believe in the sanctity of human life. This is where we get it, made in the image of God. So the first thing that we're told <coughs> is that God is the father of, of us all. The second thing that we're told is this, that Eve is the mother of all living. Now, <clears throat> this little text seldom gets noticed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. But what it means is this. Genesis 3.20 disallows racism, prejudice, or, in, or, um, <clears throat> or discrimination as an acceptable posture for any Christian believer. Here's the point. If God is the father of us all, and Eve is the mother of all living, then there is only one race, not many races. There is only one race, the human race, and we all belong to that race. Paleontologists, anthropologists, and geneticists like Rebecca Can will tell us that all human living, all humans living on the earth today descended from a common ancestor that either lived somewhere in North Africa or in the Middle East. So Palestinians and Jews and Africans and Arabs and Asians and Latinos and Anglos and all the rest of us in a very broad and general sense, we are brothers and sisters. And I don't mean just brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. I mean brothers and sisters as brothers and sisters in the human race. The Bible declares that. And I think instead of races, we should be talking about families because there is only one race, and that is the human race, and all the rest are families. Now, <clears throat> ethnicity and dominant physical features and characteristics have developed in time. But God has meant these features and characteristics to add interest, to add color, to add fascination, to add enjoyment. Because God loves variety. God loves creativity. God loves uniqueness. God is creative. And because of that, no two persons on the face of the earth are the same. Tanuha, Tanuha C. Coates, in her book, Between the World and Me, said this, race is the child of racism, not the father. And that brings us then to this, the power of language. Now, if the power of language tells us anything, it tells us this, that our personal language matters. Jesus said to us in Mark chapter 7, he said that it is not what goes into 
me that defiles me, but it's what comes out of me that defiles me. Because from out of my heart and out of my mouth comes everything that is inside of me. And he gives us the list from evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sexuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said something else. He said in Matthew chapter 22, he said, Whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, you idiot, you moron, is exactly what it means in the Greek, will be liable to hellfire. Why the increasing intensity of punishment? For this reason. Labeling a person a fool, a moron, or an idiot is an act of and an attempt to dehumanize and depersonalize another human being, another human person. And dehumanization and depersonalization happens through language. Now, <clears throat> seatbelts on, buckled up. I'm going to use some offensive language, not just to be offensive or shocking, but to make a point. Now, we know from history and for centuries that soldiers were trained to depersonalize and dehumanize their enemies by labeling them as nips and japs and krauts and huns and kooks, etc. And I don't even know what some of those things mean. But this is the rationale behind that training, behind depersonalizing and dehumanizing people. When we do that, there are few psychological, fewer psychological barriers to cross when it comes time to kill that enemy. And an enemy that is depersonalized and dehumanized appears less than fully human and easier to kill. And if you want examples from that, we have a boatload from history, starting with Hitler and the Jews. In Rwanda, one tribe called another tribe that they wanted to slaughter cockroaches. And I want to be somewhat sanitized here. In America, blacks were referred to as Negroes and savages. Matter of fact, in the U.S. Constitution, blacks are referred to as one, two-thirds people. Racial slurs, we all know them, for whites and for blacks and for Latinos and for Mexicans and for Italians and for the French. But racial slurs robs people of their God-given uniqueness 
as human persons and human beings. Because it depersonalized them. And if I can depersonalize you, and if I can dehumanize you, then I can use you. Or I can even kill you. So how do we respond? How do we respond? Well, some people suggest a number of things. The the first thing is suggested that the deal with racism and prejudice and discrimination is through colorblindness. In other words, if we just can think of skin color like we do hair color, then racism won't be a problem. The problem with that is this, is whether or not that's actually possible. Can I really be colorblind? I don't think so. But there's the other thing as well, is by being colorblind, does it not ignore the beauty and the uniqueness of our family backgrounds, our culture, our ethnicity? Now, I know in Canada, for those of us that are in that frame, we think that Canada is the only culture and the best culture in the world. It is not. There are many beautiful and wonderful and elaborate cultures that are as good or better than the Western culture or the Canadian culture. Is it really possible? for me to be colorblind. Uh, you probably heard me tell this before. When we were in Barrie, we, had, we have some really good friends, uh, Paul and Shana Walker, and they couldn't have any children, so they thought what they would do is they would go to South Africa, and um, they would adopt two black South African children, which they did, Adea and uh, My, uh, Micah, uh, Mackay. And uh, <clears throat> they've grown now to become teenagers, But one of the things that we talked about with Paul and Shana, Ruth and I did is the idea of understanding that they're South African and they carry the Walker name, they've been adopted, but we can never, never and should never erase or try to erase or eliminate or downplay the fact that they are black and they are South African. It's important to who they are and where they've come from, and who they will be as teenagers, and as young people, and ultimately as adults. So colorblindness. The other way people suggest that we should get through racism is political correctness. You know I was going to go there. By empowering minorities is the argument. We can overturn centuries of racial oppression. Well, the problem with political correctness is that it does not address historical racism and it does not erase or reverse the years and the decades of historical racism. And it is so easy to dismiss the seriousness of historical racism and prejudice and discrimination. I have a friend who uses this analogy. He says, including the excluded in the ninth inning of the baseball game does not justify or undo not including them in the first eight. Now, we don't have time to get into it. 
and I understand that Canada and the United States are apples and oranges. But I think that we all know that the historical sin of the United States is slavery of seven and a half million Africans. And slavery is a womb that has not healed and cannot heal and may be unrepairable to heal. I don't know. I'm not that smart. They tell us that the historical sin of Great Britain is the misuse and the abuse of what they have done with and to the Irish. And all the Brits groaned and all the Irish said, Amen. What's Canada's historical sin when it comes to prejudice, discrimination, and racism? It's the mistreatment of our First Nations people. And I don't have time to get into that either. But inviting them to play in the ninth inning of the baseball game does not justify or undo not including them in the first eight innings of the baseball game. But God's answer and the Bible's answer, and I hope our answer, is reconciliation through Christ. No amount of colorblindness, no amount of political correctness will erase prejudice, discrimination, and racism in our hearts and in our minds. There is only one power that is up to that task. And that is Jesus Christ and the transforming power that comes through him by the Holy Spirit. No other power is able to erase racism, prejudice, and discrimination from my heart and from my mind other than the transforming power of Jesus Christ delivered through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls us to love each other. He demonstrated this himself by crossing cultural lines, talking to Samaritans who were hated by the Jews. He did this by talking to women who men were not supposed to talk to. And he did this by actually inviting a Canaanite to be one of his disciples, Simon the Zealot. And we know, of course, that Jesus died to redeem everyone and the gospel is to be preached, Luke tells us, to all nations in his name. All families, all ethnicities, all ethnies, and all Christians are called to oppose inequality. All Christians. Because James tells us that we are to show no partiality. And to do so is to sin. And then the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God bringing healing where there is brokenness and justice where there is injustice. And we, you and me, we are to participate in God's actions through the Holy Spirit. It is the task of every one of us, you, myself, all of us. It is our responsibility to be in, in conjunction and work in conjunction with God's action to bring heaven to earth in the form of the kingdom of God. Racism, discrimination, and prejudice will only be dealt with 
to reconciliation through Jesus Christ. Do you know what our text tells us? Do you know what our text in Revelation tells us? It tells us that there will be no room for prejudice, discrimination, or racism in heaven. You know what else it tells us? It tells us that there is no room for racism or prejudice or discrimination in our hearts or in our minds. And there is no room for prejudice, discrimination, or racism at the table of the Lord. So at Glad Tidings Church, let's begin to sing a new song. Let's begin this morning at communion. Because the people of God at the communion table and the church at the table of the Lord is a miniature of the kingdom of God on earth and it is a portrayal of what heaven is going to look like. And Revelation tells us, and they sang a new song. 